Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I'm Anna Jaworski and the host of Heart to Heart with Anna. We are in Season 8 of Heart to Heart with Anna. And our theme this season is Care for Adults with Congenital Heart Defects. Today's show is When Congenital Heart Defects are Diagnosed After Infancy, and our guest is CHD warrior Catherine Reyes. Because this show is devoted to the congenital heart defect community, most of our shows have dealt with congenital heart defects that are often life-threatening at birth. This show, however, deals with some heart defects that can be life-threatening but do not necessarily require surgery soon after birth. Catherine Reyes is a retired school librarian who was born with a bicuspid aortic valve, or BAV, and a coartation of the aorta, or COA. Her COA was repaired when she was eight years old. Twelve years ago, at the age of 44, she had an open-heart surgery to repair an ascending aortic aneurysm, which had been five centimeters unknown to her for five years. She still has her BAV and a stable descending aortic aneurysm. Although she was pregnant eight times, four of which resulted in surgery for ectopic pregnancies, she was unable to have a child. She currently is engaged to marry Mike Brown, a meteorologist. When they are not tent camping through the American West, she conducts webinars for a library automation software company and shares storytelling at children's parties, daycares, and schools. She is active on social media, sharing her love of reading, literature, and books. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Catherine. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show because, Catherine, I think you're the first person to come on the show talking to us about having surgery for your congenital heart defect after infancy. And now that I said that, I'm thinking, nope, Ben Marsbrook. Okay, so you're not the very first. <laughs> but there are, there are many of us my age who are. Because it was such a new and emerging field at the mm-hmm. time. Right. Most children right. born with defects perished within a year or two. Right. Especially a long time ago when they didn't have the kind of repairs that they do today. And they didn't have the instrumentation. Things weren't set up to work on itty-bitty, teeny-tiny babies. And you couldn't take something for an adult and just make it a little bit smaller and necessarily make it work. So you're right. But there is a growing population of people your age who have survived, and it's very exciting. So I think you're probably going to start a trend for me 
Catherine. I think I'll be seeing more people your age and people who didn't have surgery in the first weeks or months of life. So let's start by talking about your coartation at the aorta. Because I am still surprised, even though we, when you were born, I'm surprised that you were eight years old before you had surgery. So did the doctors notice that your COA was getting worse over time? Or how did your doctor know when to repair your coartation? Well, actually, no one knew anything was wrong with me when I was born, although I was ill and in the hospital when I was a baby, and my grandmother, who had been a registered nurse, said, something's not right with this baby. She told my mother that, and she told her not to get too attached because babies sometimes die. She was the oldest of about 10 children, and her mother had died in childbirth, and she had raised her brothers and sisters. But after that, You couldn't tell by, you still today couldn't look at me except and see my scars and know anything was wrong. And it was my pediatrician in my hometown in Illinois, which is a small town, 100,000 people. He noticed my blood pressure was much higher in my arms than in my legs. And he thought that was very unusual. And he sent me to a specialist and they sent me to St. Louis Children's Hospital, Dr. Bear, I remember his name, an older gentleman, and they set me up for a catheterization, which I had when I was seven, and then that allowed them to find the COA, and then at eight, they did the repair. So once it was found, it was decided it would be repaired the next year. And as I think I shared with you, I was in the hospital a week for the catheterization, which is now like come in in the morning and then leave by the end of the day. And the correction of the COA, I was there several weeks, at least three that I can remember. So it changed quite a bit. Yeah, you were old enough to remember being in the hospital. Was it scary? Actually, there were parts that were unpleasant back then. They shaved your whole body. And I remember crying, standing in a tank, in a big metal tub, this nurse shaving me, and I didn't know why. I was standing there crying. (laughs) That was my worst memory. I can still feel the scissors cutting my leg and the catheterization. Even though I couldn't feel the pain, I was awake. And they said, you're bleeding a lot. We're going to have to go through your arm. And I said, okay. I was seven. What did I know? (laughs) And so they went through my arm. And I still have both those scars. And then when I was in the hospital, I remember everything. I didn't have a TV. My father ended up getting a TV from a patient that left. And then they wheeled it in. It was a big old black and white. And I remember the little boy next to me. And I think this is one of the reasons I never felt sorry for myself. He had burned like 80% of his body. And I can remember him when they changed his bandage, the pain that he would feel screaming. And so I always have looked at it as like a plumbing thing. I just got to get my plumbing fixed and I'm going to be okay. You know? <laughs> I remember I was in a train of wheelchairs and I remember holding on to the wheelchair in front of me. We were wheeling it. And I, it always felt like my scar was pulling apart. And my doctor walked by and I go, it's okay if I wheelchair myself. He goes, obviously you're doing it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <And so laughs> I guess you're going to be all right. So I don't remember it as a 
bad, bad thing because I think I was so young and there were children there. You know, we weren't in a special cardiac unit. So there were children there experiencing things much worse than what I was going through, in my opinion. Well, and I think it's good to have that perspective because you're right. No matter what you're going through, somebody somewhere is going through something worse. And I think it's good that you didn't grow up feeling sorry for yourself. So what did your doctor tell you about your aneurysm? And can you tell us what the situation is with your descending aortic aneurysm too? I think what's really interesting or something you should be aware of is that many of us that are my age, I'm a member of a closed group called the Zipper Sisters. I think you've heard of them. It's women over the age of 18 or were born with congenital heart defects. So we all belong to this closed group. There's like a thousand of us on it now on Facebook. And I've noticed that most of us who are in our 50s, and there are a couple of us in our early 60s, yay, I think the oldest person I've seen is 67, we were all kind of told we were cured. Our parents were told that as well. You have the surgery, you're cured. She's got this valve issue. Maybe when she's 40, it'll start to leak and it's going to need to be replaced. No conversations about aneurysms. Oh, and for some reason, I did know I needed antibiotics before dental procedures. So I know when I went out on my own, I've always gotten the antibiotic before I do any teeth cleaning. I recently attended a webinar from the Adult Congenital Heart Defect Association, and the doctor there was talking about the new BAV replacement procedure that Henry Kissinger had. Are you familiar with that, where they go in through the leg now and replace it? Yeah, they're doing it on people that are in their 80s and 90s who are like, you know, if we crack open their chest, it's going to kill them. Now it's been done quite a bit in Europe, but they're doing it in the United States now. Well, anyway, two interesting things that came out of that webinar for me was, one, of course, I asked, would this be a procedure I could have because I've already had the aneurysm repaired? And he said yes, because that means that avenue has already been used before. Those veins, they're clear, which I don't think he realized it's been almost 13 years since it was repaired. But he said that would make it, I me mean, a good candidate. And, that, and the other interesting piece of information was that 50% of the people born with a bicuspid aortic valve develop aneurysms in their life. That was the new statistic since when I had surgery. But he's well known nationally for his work with aneurysm repairs. And I went actually from San Antonio to Houston for him to do the surgery at that time. But he even thought it was just maybe a hereditary condition that someone in my family might have died young as well, and everybody thought it was a heart attack, and it might have been an aneurysm. But at that time, no one associated it with my BAV. And I think had they, they might have replaced it then, because it's something about the pressure. But my valve is great. My current cardiologist thinks I may get till like, 6570 before I need to get it replaced. He said it's not Yeah, it's not calcifying. It's not really having much leakage. In fact, that was the big fight when I had my open heart surgery. They told me right away they were going to take the valve and I was like, "No." 
know, why? Everybody says it's good. And it was the anesthesia cardiologist who came in maybe three days before the surgery and said, I think we can keep this valve. So that's when they told me. And then during the anesthesia workup, he told me, I'm going to try to help you keep this because you'll do better with your own than you will with an artificial. He had been in one guy's chest three times that month already, replacing one that had had defects. And so I told him, that's all I want to know. So when you wake up and you know how you're intubated and your arms are tied down, Mm -hmm. I told Dr. Sai, I just want to know if I have my valve because I don't want to go on Coumadin. I just did not want to go on Coumadin. And Uh, and so I did a little thumbs up when he told me. That was the (laughs) first thing he told me. And he goes, what's that? I, of course, couldn't talk, but my little thumbs were, yay. (laughs) So I was ecstatic, you know, I. I saw oh, my valve. That's so great. Well, that's a perfect note for us to take a quick commercial break. But don't Good. <laughs> because when we come back, we're going to talk to Catherine a little bit more about her bicuspid valve and what living with this heart condition means to her. We'll be right back. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is when congenital heart defects are diagnosed after infancy, and our guest is CHD warrior Catherine Reyes. Catherine is a bicuspid aortic valve or BAV survivor, and she has survived surgery to repair a coarctation and surgery to repair an aneurysm on her ascending aorta, and she is currently living with an aneurysm on her descending aorta. And we've been talking to Catherine about her coarctation condition, and we even got to talk a little bit about the bicuspid aortic valve. Catherine, this is the first time I've heard that having a bicuspid aortic valve could actually cause an aneurysm. I just think that is fascinating. Well, let's get back to talking about your bicuspid aortic valve because it sounds to me like you've been fairly symptom-free, but I'm wondering if your doctor has told you what warning signs or red flags that you need to be alerted to that might signal that you need some help with that bicuspid aortic valve. Well, I think because he is not a congenital defect specialist, he's just an adult cardiologist, I'm so much healthier than 80% of the people he sees. We haven't really talked about symptoms, although I know what he's looking for because he always asks me about shortness of breath and those kinds of things or flutter or palpitation. I never really understood that symptom until in the beginning of October, I was walking and all of a sudden my heart started to race and I was having trouble catching my breath. And I thought, oh, this is what they're talking about. Because that was the first time in my entire life that I've ever really noticed that feeling. When I had my ascending aneurysm, I remember them asking me, are you coughing? Are you having shortness of breath? And I was like, well, yeah, but I have allergies and I'm overweight. And I never attributed any of those things to having an aneurysm. 
But once it was repaired, I could see, oh, well, that was the problem. I called about the shortness of breath, and that's pretty much what I'm looking for. Or if I'm tired all the time, like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I do something physical, and then I'm just like, oh, I'm exhausted. So what scares you about having a bicuspid aortic valve? It sounds to me like uh, you're pretty happy that you have it. <laughs> you no, I'm like, hey, it. I got my valve. I'm not on good it. <laughs> Party. <laughs> I think, I think I've never worried about it. I really haven't because it was treated as something that, ah, they'll take it out, they'll put it in. And then when I was around 40 and I was getting an echo done, I was like, what's the deal with my valve? And the guy goes, they can move the mitral valve over and then they put a pig valve in the mitral. I was like, oh, it doesn't sound so bad. And I go, well, what do you think? And he's like, oh, this was a doctor. He's like, oh, you got plenty of time. So I was on an HMO. And HMOs don't send you to cardiologists. I don't know why. I was not on a PPO, and that's how I went five years, not being treated. My -hmm. primary care wouldn't send me to a cardiologist. And I didn't, he didn't even tell me it was five centimeters. When I was finally on a PPO, and my OBGYN, of all people, sent me, he was the one that kept saying, you got to go to a cardiologist. You got to go, you're on a PPO. And I still waited a year because I was getting my echoes. I'm fine. That's what I kept thinking. Yeah. And then when I, when it was diagnosed and I was told I was going to have to have surgery, like right away or die, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I can wait till summer. You know, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> and that's when I got the records from my primary care. I said, I want all my echoes. Mail them to me. And when I started reading them, there it was, five centimeters, five centimeters. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Were they concerned Mm. about congestive heart failure? No, but I have trouble with altitude sickness, and Mm. that's congestive heart failure related. And I had an issue with it a couple of years ago when I retired. I had it as a teen, and then I went up. I didn't have trouble, went back up in the mountains again, and this time we went really far, really fast. And he had to drive me off the mountain at like four in the morning. So uh, that could have something to do with my heart issues. I just don't know. But yeah, that's the thing. And maybe part of it's me wanting to be ignorant. I don't know or not worry. I don't ask a lot about, like I know my descending one, they told me you need to go to Houston. You need to come back here. Because I could be paralyzed because of its location from the waist down if the repair is not handled correctly. But now they're doing a lot of that with stints. So my cardiologist here feels like they might be able to repair it even with a stint. Things emerge and change. Technology is changing and emerging so quickly and rapidly. What was possible 14 years ago is archaic and not even used a lot of times now. It's just oh, I know. It's like science fiction, what we see happening, isn't it, Catherine? Catherine, we're late to go to another commercial, so let me stop here real quick. No, we're going to take a do that. Quick commercial. <laughs> Everybody, don't leave yet, because when we come back, we're going to talk to Catherine about what advice she has for other survivors of congenital heart defects who do not have surgery as infants and who live relatively normal lives for years and then are confronted with the fact that they were born with imperfect hearts. We'll be right back. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. 
Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is when congenital heart defects are diagnosed after infancy, and our guest is CHD warrior Catherine Reyes. Catherine, I have had such a good time talking to you. Catherine has been living with a bicuspid aortic valve and a coarctation of the aorta, but the scary thing to me is that she's also been living with some aortic aneurysms and aware that she had these aortic aneurysms until she got her own medical records. Boy, Catherine, if that doesn't talk about being your own advocate and taking control over your medical medical records, I don't know what does. Yeah, you have to be your own advocate. And honestly, if it hadn't been for the fact I changed jobs and got different medication and I really had an excellent OB who insisted I go to a cardiologist, I would be dead. I would just be dead because they weren't doing anything and they weren't going to do anything. So I would never have an HMO again in my life. (laughs) I don't care. I've learned that I tell everybody, like about antibiotics, I tell the staff ahead of time when I had my colonoscopy. No one asked or I told someone, but it wasn't until the nurse asked me about my medical conditions that she said, you need an antibiotic. They had to call my cardiologist and get it. And so I've just kind of learned now. Mm -hmm. I mention it all the way through and I don't care. I think sometimes you get embarrassed. People get embarrassed. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a problem and I don't want to be a burden. Like I felt really bad they had to call my cardiologist. No, not anymore. Mm -hmm. I can read any kind of explanation of benefits and tell you anything about it and I can get charges waived and it's sad but that's what does it is once you face those kinds of things and there should be more education ahead of time and that's why I do this show because I feel like you're not the only generation of people who were told that they were fixed or parents who were told oh well your child's going to have this operation and then they'll be fixed And you know what? Sometimes I wonder if maybe the parents weren't specifically told that, but it was intimated that then the children were fixed because there are a lot of children who are all between the cracks, you know, who are lost to follow-up care, and they never really thought that there was a continuing problem until they end up in the emergency room or they end up in the hospital, and then they realize that there were problems. I think there's a whole big group of people who didn't even know that they needed to be advocates for themselves, don't you think? I agree with that 100%. And I do believe that because of my age and the time that this happened, that there was probably some intimation, as you said, or, you know, just, hey, she's going to be fine. This is it. Once she gets through this, you're not going to have to worry anymore. Although I have seen women write in my Facebook group, The doctor said I was cured. I stopped going. We actually have a woman who was diagnosed with her COA, and she was 58 before she was diagnosed. Yeah. And then she found out she had breast cancer on top of that. And so you start to wonder, well, is this causing that? And you don't know anything. 
Yes, there are so many unknowns, Catherine. Every time we get an answer to something, we end up with three or four more questions. But we're running short on time, but I have to know, I was so surprised to read that you had eight pregnancies and yet we're still unable to carry a baby to term. So I'm wondering what advice you have for other adult female survivors who thought that they had minor heart defects, but they're unable to conceive and carry a baby to term. Yeah, my inability to have children was due to an issue not related to my heart. That's what my fertility specialist said. I have a misshapen uterus and I had several ectopic pregnancies, but he also mentioned that had I tried to carry, because at the time I didn't know I had aneurysms, it probably would have killed me trying to have a baby with a five centimeter aneurysm Mm -hmm. I didn't even know about. I read about this a lot online too. You know, it's like, why can't I have a kid? Everybody else can have a child and I can't. And I know I went through all that. My second marriage was where the Reyes comes from. I was a stepmom for 10 years and that was very rewarding, but it's not the same thing. For me, it was like I finally reached a point where I was able to say, okay, These are the things that have happened in my life because I didn't have children. I was able to do them and thank God for that. And these are the things that I'm not going to have. And I just have to make peace with that and know that that wasn't what was meant for me to be a parent. And it's hard. It was hard all through my 30s, all through my 40s. I think I became the most at peace with it when I realized that the whole reason I was able to retire when I did, because my job had just become too physically demanding, which sounds crazy as a librarian, I know, was knowing that had I had children, I couldn't have financially been able to do it, you know? And I thought, well, that maybe was the whole thing, that some point in my life was going to come where I didn't have to choose between putting my child through college and saving my life, you know what I mean, and and, and providing them the kind of life I wanted. I'm able to take care of myself, and and thank goodness for that. Because it sounds like had you been you might not have been there to raise the baby, much less fire. At any point, you very well could ride in childbirth, and that's a really scary thought. So I like what you said, Catherine, about coming to a sense of peace and being thankful for what you do have. I think that's probably easier said than done, especially when you're dealing with the huge disappointment of not being able to be a mother. But I think you're absolutely right that you have to be thankful for what you do have. And you did have your health, and you might not have if you would have had children. And and look for outlets to work with children. I think that Mm -hmm. helped me a lot. Just being an educator. (laughs) Yeah, and so that helped me a lot, being around kids, seeing all the good, seeing all the bad. (laughs) Realizing that the the cup is half full and the cup is half empty sometimes. (laughs) So you (laughs) can look at both sides of the pictures. Okay, here's my last question for you, Catherine. Okay. It seems like you went from having a relatively minor condition with your bicuspid aortic valve to all of a sudden having your life interrupted with open heart surgery and concern about what else is going on. Although it doesn't sound like you were terribly concerned that much until things got really bad. But I'm wondering what advice you have for other adults 
who, like you, had a chance to live for years without a major heart defect pressing on them and then all of a sudden developing into something worrisome. I'm not going to lie to you. I was worried about having open heart surgery. I did not want my chest sawed open. I was really upset. And what really helped me, and this would be my advice, was speaking to someone person to person who had been through open heart surgery. And it wasn't even related to a defect. He'd just become an older man, heavy, and developed heart issues. And speaking with him about what it took to recover, what he felt like afterwards, that was my biggest support. That was my biggest lifeline. It really helped me get through it. And then afterwards, I was able to call him and say, mm-hmm. this is happening and that's happening and what did you notice? And there are support groups online. That's one of the things I like about the Zipper Sisters. Meeting other people and talking with other people who are going through what you've gone through or what you're going to go through just helps you immensely. Trying to deal with it in isolation just doesn't work. You've got to reach out to people, and you may think you're totally alone, but you're really not because of technology. There's people there online that are going through what you're going through. Absolutely. I love that advice. And if you've listened to any of my shows, you know that's my tagline is that you are not alone because I think that's a serious thing, don't you, Catherine, when you feel like you're the oh my only gosh, one yes. that this is happening to. And it's very scary. Well, that's perfect advice. Reach out to others. And there are a lot of support groups, not only on Facebook, which has tons of them. So if you're not on Facebook, you should get on Facebook <laughs> if you're looking yeah. for support <laughs> There are Yahoo groups. There are other places where you can find support groups. And a lot of the hospitals even have support groups. There's also Mended Little Hearts. If you're an adult, you can also check out the Mended Hearts. Call the American Heart Association. There are lots of different avenues that you can reach out to try and find that support. So thank you, Catherine, for all of your advice and for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Well, this was so much fun. And that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker, and help us share the information about the radio show with others. Congenital heart defects touch people all over the globe, but remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. Mm